Melissa Guller here, and we're going to talk about strategies that you may not be aware of, that you may not know about, hidden strategies to help you with your podcast, becoming more visible and actually having more people listen to it. I had the opportunity to interview Melissa recently on my podcast, For the Love of Podcast, and I was so impressed with so much of what she shared I decided this would be a great opportunity to share her wisdom with the Clubhouse community. So thanks for being here. We're going to go ahead and dive right in. One of the topics that really impressed me right off the bat was this idea of going to places where maybe people wouldn't normally think of. An example would be Pinterest. So let's start there. Melissa, talk a little bit about your journey using Pinterest to help promote your podcast and your business. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Billy, so excited to be here. Pinterest is one of my favorite underused strategies, so happy to dive right in. For those of you I haven't met, I'm the founder of Wit & Wire, where I help business owners launch their own podcasts and then scale them up. And with Pinterest, this is a strategy bloggers have been using for years. And as a podcast host, obviously, we all kind of look to other podcasters to see what we're up to. But I also think it's smart to look at YouTubers, at bloggers, at social media folks, and just to see what strategies can we borrow for them to use for our podcasts. And so one of the biggest ones for me is Pinterest. So when Pinterest started, I would say it was around 2008 or 9-ish. I think people were using it mostly for recipes. And even still today, people kind of associate Pinterest with only recipes. But truthfully, every single topic is on Pinterest nowadays. And the biggest difference between Pinterest and, say, other social platforms is that Pinterest is actually a search engine. So people go to Pinterest, there's a search bar on the top, they search for something that they're looking for, and then they see a whole series of pins, and those pins answer their question. And when you click on a pin, it looks like an image, but it takes you to somebody's website. So for us, it would go back to one of our podcast episodes. And to me, that's what's so different about Pinterest compared to socials is just the fact that people go there with the intent of finding those answers. And Instagram, I mean, I'm just going to be on my feed scrolling through all the puppies that are coming up. I'm not necessarily trying to leave Instagram, nor do they really want you to. So just just that alone, I think, really sets Pinterest apart. But Billy, do you want to jump in with any specific questions? I don't want to just ramble on. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you set the stage nicely and really I think the thing that stands out is it's a search engine. So knowing that it's a search engine, what are some strategies or ways which you leverage that when thinking about the experience of the user? What types of things are they searching for? And then how do you create content that will hopefully allow your podcast or anything that you're using to help bring visibility to your podcast more visible on that platform. I think what's nice about Pinterest is the fact that it's more like a search engine and, or no, it is a search engine, but it's more like Google strategies, keyword strategies. So let's say you go over to Pinterest. If you start typing something in, in the search bar, they're actually going to suggest things that people are searching for. So right off the bat, that's a great place to find episode ideas. And then if you click into some of those, you can see what have other people pinned. What are other questions coming up? If you see some other people's blog posts or even a few podcast episodes here and there, but it's mostly blog posts. Like what are those questions that you could incorporate into your podcast? And then you can create your own episode that addresses some of those pain points. So the keyword research element of Pinterest, I think is really crucial. Mm, Super interesting. So I love the idea of coming up with episode ideas as you start to do that research and then you're really 
informing the decisions you make as a creator based on data, which to me, it's just makes sense, right? From a, a purely strategic standpoint, when you're able to inform any decision you make and, and have that be backed up with some sort of uh, knowledge that you could find either through, like you've described, doing that keyword research or something like that, then you're producing things that people really want. So knowing that, what are some of the things that you've seen others do or that you've doing, done yourself on that platform? In a minute, we'll, we'll go into some other strategies that I know you employ. But from a Pinterest standpoint, what are some things that maybe you learned along the way that you didn't know going in that would be valuable to impart with, with anyone that's listening right now? Yeah, there's, I think, two things that are like really specific. One is that when you pin something, you're, you have a combination of an image plus a link to your site. So Pinterest is always looking for what they call fresh pins, which means new content. And you definitely want to be putting out new posts on your website. So for us as podcasters, we definitely have an advantage because we are already creating that content regularly. But if you have some content that's performing really well, some of your top episodes that you know have gone over or things that are fitting to the keyword research that you're doing, if you pin an existing post with a different image, a different pin, then that is also considered new content. So one URL could have five different visuals kind of spaced out over time. And each one of those things counts as a new pin. And I think that's great because you can always get your content in front of more people. And for most of us hosts, a lot of our content is evergreen. It'll last long beyond the first day. But I think we often forget to keep talking about our content after that first day. And in particular, on other social platforms, or even if we're into email marketing, we tend to just say, here's my new episode. It went live today. Thank you for being here. Like, that's the last time we ever talk about that episode. But I think with Pinterest, it really gives you a chance to just continue putting that same great content that you invested a lot of time in, in front of more audiences. And we talked about keyword research with what topics to choose. But I've also found that Pinterest has been really informative about which problems are most prevalent that bring people back to my site because those pins go viral. So for example, I talk about podcasting and I have a couple of pins about choosing the right podcast format, about essentials of podcast editing, of course, about microphones. These are pins that have gone viral that continue to bring traffic to my site, not just for days or weeks, but for years. I have one pin from 2019 that is still driving traffic to my website. So I think the longevity of Pinterest is just insane compared to some other platforms. I really would compare it more to YouTube than the other like feed-based posts. Um, but the other thing about Pinterest that is like a tangible strategy that any host could implement today is that if you have your posts on your site, so you have your podcast episode, you're posting your show notes to your site, you should include a pinnable image in that post. So if you only have a blog post and there is no image anywhere on that page, savvy Pinterest users are not going to be able to just bookmark it to save it using their Chrome extension or to click on an image on that page to save it to their pinnable board you're losing out on the opportunity for people to do marketing for you. So that's why if you've just, you know, scrolled around the internet, seen any blog posts or people who have podcasts and do this strategy, you'll notice either near the top or the bottom of the post, they may have a vertical image, a pin that says like pin this. That is what you want because then it'll tell people to save that post for later. And I've had some people pin my podcast episode 
And then that pin goes viral. But all the traffic is, of course, still coming back to my website. And that's helped me drive additional thousands of people to WinWire over time. Super, super powerful insights. So for those just joining, you're listening to Melissa Guller, who's the CEO of Wit and Wire. She helps online business owners build their authority and reach their audience through podcasting. She herself is also a podcaster and a host. Her show, Wit and Wire, is an amazing show, so I strongly suggest checking it out. I recently got it to interview her on my show, For the Love of Podcast, and I was so impressed with her insights that we decided to do a Clubhouse edition to really unpack some of the things that she's been doing. We're talking about Pinterest right now. I have one more question on Pinterest, maybe one or two, and then we'll move into a few other things. I do welcome anyone who's listening right now to raise your hand to come up to the stage and ask questions or provide additional insights, something that you've employed that's worked, or again, a question that you might have about anything that we're talking about. So the question I have, Melissa, is let's say I'm new to Pinterest. I've never used it before. You talked about some of the things to do proactively. I really appreciate the fact that, you know, new pins, it's important that that's what they're really looking for. What are some of the mistakes we should avoid making to prevent doing anything unnecessary so that we could learn from your experience and others who maybe have made some mistakes? Uh, what, What would you advise us avoid doing? Yeah, I think that there's a couple things worth mentioning. One is that Pinterest al- Pinterest's algorithm has fully changed in the last two years. All of the Pinterest experts that I follow, they talk about things that they used to do that no longer work. So I would just say that for anybody who wants to continue learning about Pinterest after this, make sure anything that you're reading is from somebody who is finding success on Pinterest within the last 12 months because their strategies are going to work but some blog post from 2017 about Pinterest is going to give you advice that legitimately would be considered spam today. Like as an example, it used to be a best practice that if you had one pin that was doing really well, that you should continue repinning it to more of your boards every single day. So the way that Pinterest works, just in case you haven't seen it, is you have your own profile. Imagine a page, pinterest.com slash Wire. That's mine. And then within that, you have these buckets called boards. And you can save an individual pin to one or multiple boards. So this old 2017 advice would say, oh, wow, you have one that's doing really well on board A. You should put it on board B and tomorrow on board C and just keep going. But nowadays, that would be considered spammy behavior, which could get your account suspended if you did it too much. So just make sure if you're looking up any Pinterest strategies from Pinterest experts online that they have found success in the last year. So that one is huge. And I think the other mistake I see is when we talked about the one about not putting images on your podcast show notes, that's just something so simple that anybody could do even starting today. Even if you didn't want to go backwards through past podcast episodes, if you're putting out weekly episodes, you could just start with your next one, put a pin at the bottom of the page. A pin is just a vertical graphic. If you use Canva or any software that is a simple design tool, you can make a pin. But the other second tip that is new that I would think would be a mistake is to only use Pinterest natively versus using a third-party tool to do the scheduling. So there's a tool I recommend called Tailwind. It is the tool that I think pretty much every Pinterest expert I know recommends. I do have a partner link, Billy. Is it okay if I share it? Of course. Yeah, go for it. So you can try out Tailwind and get like $15 in credit if you go to wittenwire.com slash Tailwind just to see what it's about. 
the way that it works is you can schedule pins in advance. So you can say, you know, here's the pen, the, all the pins that I want to go out this week. And then I think more crucial and actually really fascinating for podcast hosts is that they also have something called Tailwind Communities. And you can go into these communities and find other pins based on your interests. So I'm in communities about entrepreneurship, online business, podcasting, and I find pins there that I might want to save to my own boards. But critically, you can also put your pins into these communities and then they will share them to their boards. Because Pinterest is really interesting where they really want to see that you don't only pin your own content. They want to see that you're a good community member and that you're elevating other good content on their platform. Because for Pinterest, they win when the content is good on Pinterest, when people continue to pin things. So you can add your pins to these communities. Other people will share them. And what I really like to do is not only do topic research in these communities, but I've also found guests to interview for my show and guests to pitch for me to be on their show through Tailwind Communities. Because anybody savvy enough to be in these spaces is obviously invested in some amount of marketing for their show. So those are people I want to be around. Yeah, I love all of that. So I want to talk about a few other hidden podcast marketing strategies that you use. It's so funny because when we last spoke, I was mentioning a quiz platform. I couldn't recall the name. And then as soon as you said interact, it rang a bell and I went and looked and that was the one that I had been researching. So I know you use uh, interact as your quiz platform. Can you talk a little bit about why you are a advocate for using quizzes, not only to promote your podcast, but more specifically promote your business and really get people to have more visibility into the work that you're doing. Definitely. I love talking about quizzes because I've just seen across not only businesses that I admire, but also frankly, businesses that have gotten me to take an action that a lot of them are utilizing quizzes as a first step into the funnel that is their online business. So the fun of these quizzes is that they take less than a minute for somebody to take the quiz, like what's your superpower or what kind of this or that should you create? And for you to take less than one minute to do something and then to learn something fun about you is not new. I think like as humans, we'd like to learn about ourselves. We love these personality tests. BuzzFeed has made basically a career out of these, (laughs) these fun little quizzes. But for us as podcast hosts, what I think is fascinating about a quiz is that number one, people want to take it way more than maybe they want to download yet another free resource. Like, I don't know about all of you listening in, but I have heard about a lot of PDFs, a lot of eBooks, a lot of things that I opted into and didn't even open. And with a quiz, what's fun is that you get to build trust because when they see their result, they'll feel like you really get them. And so you're building trust in that way with them. You're getting way more email addresses because people will hear you talk about the quiz, and they may actually go to your website to take the quiz because they might not care about getting another PDF. People are smart. But if they just think, oh, this is fun, I'll take a minute, then you're both getting something out of it. I don't think enough people think about like fun and doing something that's entertaining. We want to provide value, but we also don't want to be boring or just kind of blend into the crowd. And then I'll also say with a quiz, what appealed to me as a business owner was two more kind of behind the scene things. One is segmentation. So my quiz is called What's Your Podcast Host Advantage? And one of the questions I ask is if their podcast is active or if they haven't launched yet. Because for my business, it's crucial for me to know, should I be pitching this person content about my podcast launch course or have they already launched? 
pitching them about that would not be a good fit for them. I should be talking about more advanced strategies. So from a segmentation perspective, that's huge for me. And then from a marketing perspective, I run ads to the quiz. When I go on other podcasts, I often drop a link to the quiz. And that brings a lot of people back to my audience in both paid and organic ways. And often you can pay a lot less for a cost per click on a quiz. I've heard under $2, even as low as 50 cents for some business owners for one opt-in for their quiz, which is crazy low. So I just think kind of across the board, you're getting great leads, they're learning something fun, and you can continue to market to them over a longer amount of time now that you have their email address. Mm, Brilliant. I love it. I love it. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about this before we move into the next topic. So far, we've talked about Pinterest. Now we're talking about quizzes, two things you don't often think about when you think about promoting your podcast. And so I love these hidden jewels, these hidden secrets. So you talked a little bit about the segmentation aspect of it. What else do you think is really important to know? Someone listening right now may be thinking, okay, I want to make a quiz, but I don't know where to start. So can you talk a little bit about the platform you recommend, which, which I agree from all the ones I've seen, that one is stellar. And then the second part is, what are the do's and don'ts for creating a quiz that you found to be most effective? Yes. Okay. So the quiz platform we've both been chatting about is called Interact. I happen to be an ambassador for them. So you can check them out for free at wittenwire.com slash interact. And what's nice about using a dedicated quiz tool is the fact that they take care of all the tech. So if you imagine the user experience, somebody lands on the page for the quiz, they're going through different questions. And all of those questions are tied to different results, which I'll talk about in a second. But once somebody takes the quiz, not only do you need a way to capture that email address, you'll also want analytics after the fact to see, well, what percentage of people are answering each of these different questions? What percentage of people are getting different outcomes? And then for me, something I'm curious long-term about is, do certain results lead to more buyers in my business? So getting all of that information within one tool is a huge help. And I would say if you are thinking about creating a quiz for your audience, the two things that I would recommend starting with are first, what's the concept? Like what is the sort of fun thing that you could do about your business? That's one road to go. You could also say, what is a question that they have that they're feeling stressed about? So the personality quiz is kind of the fun route. That's what mine is. Like what's your podcast host advantage? has different results. Like, are you a mentor? Are you an enthusiast? Are you a storyteller? These are not necessarily indicative of how far along you are as a podcast host. They're just more about your style, what formats might suit you, what monetization strategies might suit you. So I went the fun route. Other people I've seen have done personality quizzes. I think that's the route I would say fits most people. But you can also do like a readiness quiz. Like, how ready are you to do X? And that's the other type of quiz Interact can do is more of a scoring-based quiz where they'll answer questions as they go along. And I think for some business owners, if any of you happen to qualify into this category, it's kind of nice because quizzes can be used to qualify leads before they get on a phone call with you. So if you're measuring somebody's readiness, maybe if they're in the like zero to 10, you know, just getting started, then you can recommend a few of your podcast episodes on the results page. You can give them some free resources. But if they score really high, maybe on the results page, you actually want to encourage them to book a discovery call with you. So I think that the personality type and the score-based quiz are the two main options. And so once you decide which route you want to go, you brainstorm some ideas, I think 
before you come up with questions, I would definitely recommend coming up with the results. So you could do anywhere from two to six results. I would recommend like three or four results is a sweet spot. You really don't need more than that. You can always make things more complicated later, but I think three or four is a great starting point. And give this person a profile. Figure out like, what is the name of this result? What are the qualities of this result that make it different from the other ones? Have a little fun with it. You could come up with things that go on the results page about, you know, are there celebrities or other people who they could identify or TV shows? It'll be very different for different people. But the results page is all about telling them a little bit about who they are, but then also critically putting a call to action. So on mine, I talk about my free masterclass about launching a podcast, if that is a fit for them. But you can put your podcast episodes, you can put relevant resources, depending on who you are and what you do. I feel like this is definitely like a rapid fire crash course. But Billy, what do you think? What kind of podcast quiz were you thinking of doing? Yeah. So thanks. Thanks for asking. And I'm, I'm so excited that you're here to share your, your thoughts. For me, the thing that stands out is humor for sure. I appreciate anytime we could bring levity to the conversation and not take ourselves too seriously. I also like the score based I think, you know, it really depends on the business. So if your podcast is supporting a business, I, I think that the quiz should either direct people to, um, you know, as you've mentioned, maybe a discovery call or some sort of way for them to connect with you. And, and at the end of the day, your business can be a great, and you talk about this, can be a great way to promote your podcast. A lot of times we think the podcast will promote the business, but you could also think about it from the other perspective. So that was a light bulb moment when you shared that. I know I, in doing my research, one of the things that you comment on is just how valuable your business has been. And so for those just joining, Melissa Guller is the CEO and founder of Wit and & Wire, and so she helps people produce their podcasts. And we're talking about some creative ways to get your podcast out there. So in the vein of, of what I've just said, I'm curious, what have you done to proactively promote your business, which in turn grows your podcast? Because it doesn't need to be a one-way street where you put all your effort in promoting the podcast with hopes that the podcast will feed the business, but you look at it from the other perspective. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then we'll get to some of the questions up here on stage. Yeah, I think this one is huge because of course I do tell people that I have a podcast, but more often... I'm talking about different resources for my business or in kind of both paid and organic ways, I'm putting my business out there. So a couple of good examples are the quiz that we just talked about. Like I'll go out and talk about the quiz. I'll run ads to the quiz. We've kind of covered that direction. Another big part of my business is that I have all of these blog posts and podcast episodes that we've covered Pinterest strategy. That was the first thing we covered on this call. The fact that Pinterest has been a huge springboard of growth of organic traffic to my website, both to just regular standard blog posts and also to podcast episodes, the show notes on my site. But bringing people into those different pieces of content is one direction, but I'm going on you know, other podcasts and being a summit speaker. And in all of those instances, I'm talking about my business, my expertise. And then usually at the end, you have an opportunity to say, oh, I do have a podcast or I do have these freebies I could direct you to. But for me, most of the time, I focus on the freebie. Like I focus on driving somebody either to the quiz or to a free download on my site because my money is in my email list. Like that's where I make sales is via email after I've built relationships with people. 
So what I do is instead of saying, go subscribe to my podcast as my first call to action, I'll usually say, you know, download something or listen to this free masterclass or do the quiz. And then once they're on my list, then I start talking about my podcast. So I'll share relevant episodes in kind of like the welcome confirmation email. I'll say, by the way, I have this podcast, you know, check it out here. Maybe start with this episode. When I have even the free PDFs, those are an opportunity for you to talk about your podcast. Like maybe you have some pages of value and then the final page of your freebie, you do a little PSA about your podcast. And I think that's the opposite of what maybe a lot of people do where you have your podcast, you drive people to your podcast, you want to build up subscribers, you say, listen to my podcast. And then you hope that maybe one day, once they're listening to your show, if you're a business owner, that they might go to your website or they might opt into something or they might book a discovery call. But I found that often if I just promote the business first or the free stuff first, then they will learn that I have a podcast. And that's a big way that my listeners have gone up over time. Well, first of all, love everything you just said, especially the last piece. I just made a post and it was called, it was based on a first episode of one of my clients who his first episode was called Shitterate. And the idea behind this is even if your first recording is a bit shit, you could iterate from there and make it better over time. And you just got to get in the mode of hitting record and make messy progress. And so Melissa, curious what your approach and thought process is as you think about newsletters, not only to find people to join your newsletter, but then how to maintain them uh, and any insights you have to more effectively build uh, an email list and then how that can help to create a community of listeners for your podcast. Yeah, I think email marketing has an interesting reputation depending on your personal career, your personal background, what your inbox looks like. I think we all have our own opinions about email marketing. But I mean, I'll say this until the cows come home. The place in my business where I make money is through my email list. It's not necessarily directly through the podcast itself, although I have had people reach out to me to book my services after listening to an episode. But since the bulk of my business is through selling online courses, the way that it works is that from the podcast, they end up finding a way to opt into my email list, whether it's the quiz we talked about, my free masterclass about how to start a podcast is my biggest, it's called a lead magnet or an opt-in to the email list. And throughout my site, there are a couple of additional free resources. So I would say a big mistake that a lot of websites still make when it comes to building your email list is that they just ask people to join a newsletter. But a newsletter itself is not beneficial. Like, I don't know if any of you have ever seen these on sites, especially if they're like WordPress circa 1999. You know what I'm talking about. There's just like this footer that has, <laughs> we've all seen it before, right? Join my newsletter. And then there's just an email field. But like, why do I care about your newsletter? I probably don't. I want to learn something. And so that's where this concept of giving something for free in exchange for an email address came in. And this might be very basic for some people tuning in. It might be, you know, brand new information. So I'm trying to cover my bases. But that's kind of the core of starting out with email marketing is that you want to give something legitimately valuable, but it shouldn't take you so long to make. It shouldn't take them so long to consume. Like in my eyes, a great freebie is something that clearly addresses one of the most common problems that your ideal person has. So obviously for me, like I get asked all the time about how to start a podcast. So I've got a masterclass that's a little bit more advanced. Something that would be simpler, which I had for a while, was just a podcast launch checklist. PDF didn't take me that long to put together, 
but it was a helpful resource that my ideal person wanted and was searching for. So you could ask yourself, what do my podcast listeners ask me all the time? What is a simple problem for them that I could solve? And that's how you'll start to get people onto your list. And then it becomes a question of how do I get my free resources in front of more people? So in the same way that we ask ourselves, like, how do we find more podcast listeners? Very similar digital marketing strategies work, no matter if you're promoting a podcast or promoting the free resource. And then when it comes to actually engaging with people over your email, I think this is another area where, I don't know, there's, there's a wide array. Like, Billy, what comes to mind for you when you think of like email marketing or newsletters? Yeah, I think you've hit on some really, really key points, specifically solving problems for your ideal customer. I think that's fundamental. And to your point, no one's going to sign up for a mailing list with just a blank field to enter your email. Like no one, unless you have just an amazing brand and you're already well known to begin with. But if you're starting out or if you don't have what I've just described, you need to create a perceived and hopefully you follow through with the value, a perceived value that you can actually over deliver on. So I think get creative. Try not to do exactly what you see everyone else do. Try to do something that's a little bit more unique or nuanced. And so when you think about it from that perspective, again, you're, I think the probably the worst case scenario is you, you don't have anything to offer. Best case scenario is you offer something that when they get it, they feel so excited and happy that they made that decision. And then I think the other piece to it is how do you then up the ante and continue to over deliver once you've given them something to begin with because you said, hey, we're going to give you this this free masterclass. Some of the things I've seen work really well, and, and John Lee does an excellent job of this here on Clubhouse, is he gets people to join his membership site and it's pretty inexpensive at $7 a month. So he's getting people to join at a very low rate, $7 a month. And the way he does this is really fascinating. He says, we have a, it is an example. We have an Instagram masterclass coming up at the end of July, or we have a a podcast masterclass with Rob Moore. And that's going to be in the you know middle of July or beginning of July. And he just did that. So he's promoting this. He's, he's beating the dumb drum, promoting it, promoting it, promoting it. And people know when they join jl.club, and here I am promoting it for him, when they join jl.club, they know they're going to get a free masterclass by joining. He's getting their contact. They're joining his mailing list. It's basically like he's getting he's getting people to pay to join his mailing list. So this is an example of what I call creative marketing because he obviously has a name reputation and he's he's got a, a really solid foundation that he's drawing from. But the reality is it, it makes it, what I would call more unique than what I see other people doing, which is, you know, you give something away and then they get something. Now, instead he's asking them to pay, pay for it. He's giving them this membership, but the membership itself is him doing like a weekly video and then getting others that have some sort of uh, brand recognition, like a Rob Moore to do master classes that he promotes. He's a great promoter. And so I would think about it from that perspective. How can you promote events and things that you're doing in the future that you could get people to sign up because you're creating that anticipation, that excitement, and you're really building up something that people could 
look forward to. So that would be my biggest advice. And and, and actually, this is a, a perfect segue, Melissa, because we talk about, and you mentioned this earlier, this idea of speaking at summits. And I know that you've talked about other live events and being on panels and doing even a guest blog spot. Uh, as we think through, you know, and as we close down this, we'll probably go for another five minutes or so. What are... Um, some ways in which you found those opportunities and any other types of opportunities that would be in that same genre, which is you're using other people's platform, again, a podcast, a blog, a summit to elevate your own brand reputation and gain more visibility in the process. How have you gone about finding those opportunities? You know, it's funny because I think cold outreach works a lot better than people think. Like most often when people are asked, I think the answer is like relationship building over time, which I've absolutely done. Like a lot of the shows that I've been on or the summits that I've been a speaker for, I already had a relationship with the host because either maybe they were a student of mine, maybe I was a client of theirs, maybe we had somebody in common, maybe I had just been a longtime fan. And so when I made a pitch, it didn't even feel like it was cold outreach because I felt like I knew their business as well as they did. But I think overall, cold pitching really does work. Whether you're pitching somebody to be a guest on your podcast or pitching yourself as a guest on their podcast or as a guest blogger for their platform, because all people want, and I think we as hosts can really relate to this, but it is a breath of fresh air when somebody pitches me and I can just tell that they've done their homework. Because if somebody's really coming to me from a place of serving and having something really valuable to share with my audience then that's a win for both of us because I want to be the person who curates great knowledge, great experts, who knows all these people who can provide value to my audience. And so some of the best pitches that I've ever gotten have been from people who not only said, hey, I want to be a guest. They've gone clearly and listened to my episodes. They have pitched me a topic, not just pitched me themselves. And so if I could offer like two pieces of advice on pitching, it would be that one it has to be very personal. You cannot send the same pitch to everybody and expect to land a summit gig. But then two is you want to pitch a topic. So instead of me going to somebody and saying, hey, like I'm a podcasting expert, does that interest you? I would take a look and say, you know, I I would love to talk about mistakes that people are making when they launch new podcasts. Or for some other shows, I talk about how podcasters can utilize online courses to earn money from their audience. So I'm pitching a topic usually, and especially for summits, a specific thing that summit producers will do, summit hosts, is they have applications. And so the place where I've found the summits where I've ended up being a guest, again, these are people whose networks I'm in. Like I'm on their email list. I'm attuned to their world or I follow them on social media. And I think that makes me a great guest because again, like I really know who their business serves. So it's all about finding not just, again, like what the topic is or if they're looking, but do your audiences align. I actually think that that's the most important thing. You shouldn't find somebody who's your direct competitor necessarily. It's about like, do we serve the same person? It's so easy to assume that cold outreach doesn't work or to place that limitation in front of us and almost rationalize, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I've done this in the past and I think you've, dispelled that myth so beautifully because let's face it, it's actually not hard to stand out from the crowd because most people are doing boilerplate, boring, copy and paste, 
outreach that is totally ineffective. And so what you've described, personalizing, be specific, actually talk about the topics. And then I love that you're describing how to get in summits. Sometimes they even have an application process. So figure out ways for you to stand out. When I brought Jeff Harry onto my podcast, the thing that stood out with his outreach to me is that he did exactly what you described. He started by saying, I love your show. I really liked this episode and here's why I like this episode. To introduce myself, my name's Jeff Harry. I help people find play in the workplace. I've been written up in New York Times article, so giving a little bit of social proof. And he says, here's some of the topics that I talk about. Wondering if that would be a, a fit for your show. If it is, I would love to continue the conversation. And that last part, if it is, I would love to continue the conversation. It's more of an offer than an ask. And so I think subtlety matters. And I think it's just like sales. If you come across too eager, too desperate, people are going to resist that. It's like dating, right? You don't want somebody that's overly into you. You want somebody that's a peer that you can connect with and vibe with that you're going to have a good conversation with. And it's the same thing with getting on podcasts. It's the same thing with going to summits. Don't grovel. Don't beg. Instead, let people know who you are, what you're all about. And if they're interested, you can, you're, you'd be happy to continue the conversation. And I, and again, I just want to repeat that piece about applications. I mean, you could find summits that are happening, especially now because they're happening more and more. And then you could start filling out applications and they're actually looking for people. And then you get exposure to all these other audiences. So I have one more topic that I want to explore and hopefully you all found value from this conversation. The good news is if you, if you joined late, I have been recording, and so I will put this, and, and, and Melissa, you're welcome to use any pieces of this as well and put it on anything that, you, that you'd like to. I'll, I'll send you the raw uh, recording, but I'm going to put this on uh, For the Love of Podcast, which is my show, and I, I just want to say huge thanks to you, Melissa, and please check out Witten Wire. Check out her show, as well as she's uh, been in the podcast space for a while. She used to work for Teachable, and she had a podcast, Everything is Teachable, as well as a show called Book Smart. Um, and she helps people with their podcast. So definitely, not only should you follow her here on Clubhouse, but definitely check out all her work that she's doing to help make the podcast experience that much easier and more enjoyable for anyone who wants to join the movement. So my last topic is paid advertising, because I think this is a, a black box that many of us find to be challenging and or we don't know how to start. I know you've explored some paid advertising within the podcast specific space. And you've highlighted that it wasn't as fruitful as you would have hoped, but then you also do paid advertising for your business, which goes back to this principle that we talked about, which is your business can actually be a great funnel for your podcast. So I'm curious how paid advertising plays into the mix for you. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is that we have paid ads on Facebook and also Instagram, which is what I think most people think of. But since we did start this off by talking about Pinterest you can also promote pins and pay for advertising space in Pinterest, which is something that has also worked for me because, again, as we mentioned, Pinterest is a search engine. People are going there with clear intent and looking for answers to their problems. So if you can put your best episodes that solve some of those problems in front of people, if you can put some of your freebies in front of people on Pinterest, that can work too. But let's focus on Facebook and Instagram since I'm sure that's what more people have questions about. So what I have found works for my business 
is that instead of running ads that go to the podcast, I run ads that go to my freebies. So I'm going to, after we talk about ads, kind of wrap up my whole thoughts on podcasting as a funnel. But with the ads, you definitely can run traffic ads to your show notes on your site, to your podcast. But what I would definitely caution against is that you don't want to run ads to your podcast in Apple, Spotify, or any other directory because you don't own those domains. So you're basically paying to hype up Apple. Plus, not everybody uses Apple. So instead, if you do want to run traffic and paid ads to your show, I would strongly recommend that you're running them to your website, to your show notes. And that way, you are not only benefiting from additional traffic to your site, but you can also get data. Because if you're running people to, let's say, your podcast and Apple, you don't really have a good sense of things like page views. But if you are sending them to show notes for a specific episode, you get that kind of data. You can see how many page views you're getting. You can see if you have a call to action on that specific show notes page, how many people are opting in or taking a next step from there. So always to your own site. And then since I did say, you know, I've tried that, that works fine. And I would say if you do have a call to action within your show notes, like let's say you've got the show notes, you've got your player at the top, you've got a bit of a description, you've got, you know, the resource you mentioned. If that page has a call to action, like a quiz we talked about, like a freebie, like an opt-in, like a link to book a discovery call with you, then it could be worth running traffic there. But what I found is that I got better results from both Facebook and Instagram ads when I ran again to these freebies, these things that provide immediate value that solved an immediate problem. And then once they were on my email list, I started to tell them that I had a podcast. And within their first couple weeks on my email list, I like to send people my greatest hits. So I have an automated sequence where they'll get some of my best episodes first, even if that episode came out six months ago, because I know what questions I get asked the most frequently. So again, for me to kind of wrap up my whole thoughts on our many different kind of undervalued strategies, the way that I see my podcast is that I am a business who has a podcast, not a podcast that is a business. And so at the end of the day, what my business does is I sell online courses. They happen to be about podcasting. And so everything that I do, whether it's the podcast or any of these marketing strategies, my ultimate goal is to serve people by enrolling them into my courses and then helping them achieve the outcomes that they're looking for. So one step up from that is that I need people to be aware of what I do. And so podcasting, putting myself out there, sharing value, giving tips, that's kind of the one step up. That's where the podcast fits. And then getting people into, you know, the course can follow from there. But the podcast is not the top of the funnel. That is what people call owned media. Your podcast, your website, your socials, anywhere that you control the content is owned media. And so what's great about owned media is that you can build relationships with people. But, you know, some algorithm stuff aside, it's not really that people are going to find you there. Instead, you need to go one step up and ask yourself, who is at the top of my funnel? Where do my people hang out online? And how can I put my owned media in front of them? And that's where you start pitching yourself to be a podcast guest, a summit speaker, a guest blogger. You're posting in Facebook groups and being legitimately helpful and not just spamming people. So it could be Reddit. It doesn't have to be any of the strategies that I shared today. But for any of you tuning in, I would say that's my overall strategy for both the business and the podcast is figuring out where are the pools of people who are my ideal listeners? How can I draw them into my business or to my podcast? Doesn't matter which order. And then ultimately, how do I convert them into customers? 
very well said as, as everything you've said today has been super, super valuable and insightful. When we think about what you've described, it makes sense for the same reason that Gary V when asked, is it more important to think from a quantity perspective or a quality perspective? Of course, both matter, he says, but it starts with quantity. And the reason it starts with quantity is the quality will happen if you do enough quantity, which goes back to my point earlier in this conversation, which is you have to have long-term vision. Brendan Kumarasamy who's up here on stage with us. I don't think he's able to speak, but he says, instead of thinking about it from looking at it from the lens of what happens each day, think about it, what's happening over the decade. And that's the mind shift that I think we as creators need to have as we think through what our approach is. Now, Ryan, your question about breaking through the noise is actually, yes, it is a million dollar question because anyone that can figure that out has the ability to reach a vast audience and therefore have opportunities open up. And so to me, the number one piece of advice I've been given is to experiment. And so when you think about quantity, it's not quantity doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. It's actually experimenting and trying new things. And then when something works, try it again, see if it works again. And if it works again, okay, now you know you have something that's actually working. And so I think the person who tests the most and the person who gets the most data is the one who wins. I interviewed Brendan Kane, who got a million followers in 30 days. And his whole premise is based on test and pivot, test and pivot. The reason why he was able to do this is he was able to do so many tests in a short amount of time that he was able to find basically a way to hack his way to a million followers. Now, he might not describe it quite that way, but the point I'm trying to make is if you're able to do as much testing as possible and really be able to evaluate how each test is working and then make the adjustments. Uh, you're able to see what will go past uh, and, and stand out from the crowd and really be what is allowing you to rise above the noise. And sometimes it's, it's timing. Sometimes it's platform. Sometimes it's content. Sometimes it's luck. Uh, but, but you have to figure out what will allow you to put yourself in position to find those opportunities. So um, what a great conversation. I want to conclude by reminding everyone who's listening right now, who's listening uh, to the replay. This will be on For the Love of Podcast. So go check that out. You subscribe to the show and you'll be able to hear this when it's released. I want to give a huge, huge thanks to Melissa Guller, who's just a well of knowledge and information about how to promote your show. And I love that we tackled topics that aren't necessarily the the ones that you hear and over and over again, right? And that's the beauty of this conversation. Please go to wittandwire.com as well as check out her podcast, Wit and Wire, and subscribe. Uh, she also has two other podcasts, Everything is Teachable and Book Smart. Uh, where else would be a good place for them to go to find you? And if somebody wants to work with you, what's, what's the process to get that started? Well, first, I want to say thank you for having me. It's always fun to be asked about some of the strategies that not as many people are curious about. So I really enjoyed this. I hope that people learned at least a few new things. And if you are interested in learning about launching a podcast, the free masterclass I've been talking about for the full hour, how to launch a podcast in 60 days without feeling overwhelmed, you can find at witnwire.com slash for the love of podcast. 
And I'm online on Instagram at Wit and Wire. That's the main place I hang out on the internet. Beautiful. Want to thank you. We do appreciate it. We love having these conversations. Please feel free to reach out if you want to collaborate or if you have any questions. Find me on Instagram. Find me on LinkedIn. Would love to start a conversation and uh, really appreciate everybody being here and being a part of, of this uh, important topic because it's, uh, it's a great time and place to be thinking about doing what others aren't doing. Mm-hmm.